Romans 16. We just finished 17 and 18 in the last session, tonight 19 through 27. For your obedience, verse 19, is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. When you just read it casually, as I have just done, it seems like it's a little difficult to understand. It doesn't quite make full sense like you feel it ought to make. The first thing I want to share with you is that verse 19 is a continuation of a warning which he gave them in verse 17 and 18. Remember where it says, I beseech you, brother, and it was a warning. Here in verse 19, he does not praise them for their obedience so much as to warn them to be very careful. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men, is what it says in King James. That is true, but he does not praise them for their obedience as much as he does to warn them to be very careful about accepting any teaching or preaching, no matter how well it is presented, how seemingly logical, sincere, and reasonable it may appear. If it is off one iota from the gospel of God, the mystery that Paul has declared unto us in that word, then whatever that declaration is, if it's off even one iota, it is an error and it is wrong. He said, I'd have you wise unto that which is good. The word good is the word agathos, A-G-A-T-H-O-S. Its original meaning is worthy of note. Worthy of note. That's its original meaning. And that is so broad, that is so broad that it includes both good and evil. In other words, if evil is a thriving thing going on, it has to be agathos. It's worthy of what? Note. It appears successfully evil, or evil successfully, and that is to make it of note. You know, a great bank robber who is real successful at robbing the bank? He's a good bank robber. Agathos was simply because of, as I said, they were successful at what they did at that moment. That's why this word agathos originally carried that meaning. Then later on, it went into two directions, this word agathos. Two directions. One direction means ability and service. That which is an advantage. That's good. The advantage that you have, that's good. 
That's your ability. That's your advantage. That's good. The other arm of it was moral or ethical. And that is its basic usage in the New Testament gospel period. And all the men that I've ever studied or read on the book of Romans say that this is the side that Paul took. I do not believe that. I believe that here in this epistle, which Paul wrote, that the Pauline usage includes both, and thus in its relation to righteousness, and that word is dikaios, or dikaios, D-I-K-A-I-O-S, which I handled in Romans, which is God-to-man gift. God-to-man gift. But by renewed mind, love of God without hypocrisy, the mind and subsequently the action or works of the believer is a harmonious perfection because he belongs to God. He walks the talk and he talks the walk. So I believe that here in this usage in Romans 16, 19, that word good has both sides in it. This harmonious perfection because the individual belongs to God and that the ability and service, the advantage is he walks the talk and he talks the walk. The word simple is the word akerios, A-K-E-R-A-I-O-S, akerios, A-K-E-R-A-I-O-S, that's the Greek word. It means unmixed, unmixed without anything additional. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, send you forth as sheep in the midst of Be ye therefore wise as serpents, and what? Harmless as doves. That's the same word, simple. Chapter 2 of Philippians. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. That is this word, akarios, simple, as it's translated in Romans 16. Its usage comes from the making of wine. That's where its usage comes from. Whenever wine was pure, pure wine, then they used this word, akarios, unmixed. It was not mingled with any water, wasn't thinned down. It is used of metal that is pure metal, unalloyed metal, without any additive, not even one drop of evil 
without any additive whatsoever, without one drop of evil concerning this evil, without one drop. Boy, that thing just sort of rocks you when you look at this thing and really work it. But if you read this verse carefully and watch what it's really saying, is that you stay unmixed if you get mixed by the truth. If you put on the mind of Christ and so forth, then you get mixed with the mind of Christ, and when you put on the mind of Christ, then you will stay unmixed. The simple believe everything because they haven't got the proper mixture. And say it again. They're to be simple concerning evil. Simple is unmixed. The only way you can stay unmixed concerning evil is to get mixed with the right stuff. That's the only way. I want to give you a literal translation of verse 19. I rejoice. For regarding this matter of obedience to the gospel of the mystery, your stand has been seen by all. I am glad and thankful for you. But Yet I warn you, I would have you to keep on learning more and more. Remember, I'd have you wise unto that which is good. Keep on learning more and more so that there will be a harmonious perfection in line with the word in your moral living and service. This is the only way to stay unmixed by the evil one. That's it give it to you once more. I rejoice, comma, for regarding this matter of obedience to the gospel of the mystery, comma, your stand has been seen by all, period. I am glad and thankful for you, but Yet I warn you, comma, I would have you to keep on learning more and more so that there will be a harmonious perfection, comma, in line with the word, comma, in your moral 
living and service. This is the only way to stay unmixed by or from the evil one. Now just read Romans 16, 19 again in your Bible, King James. For your obedience is come abroad unto all. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. See how I put this whole thing together for you? Now verse 20. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. It talks about the God of peace. The four greatest words that are used that of God consistently time and time again as I see it in the book of Romans is number one God's love because it's the greatness of God's love that makes number two available the grace of God and it's God's grace that makes number three mercy available and with the love of God the grace of God, the mercy of God, comes the fourth great word used in Romans, peace of God. And here it is, the God of peace, with the emphasis on the word peace. Peace doesn't come any other way than from the true God and people learning more and more and staying uncontaminated by the evil one. You do not bring peace by legislation. You know, husband and wife fight like hell so you make a law. No fight. Have peace. Government. As I see the greatness of life and the word, kids, if you haven't got love, if you don't, Move with the grace of God and the mercy of God. You'll never have peace either in your life, your marriage, or with other people. It is the greatness of this verse that will always stand as a great monument of thanksgiving in my heart to Almighty God. Because this is the verse that God unfolded to me so beautifully when Howard Allen was dying. And it is this verse, among other believing that happened among our people, that is still responsible for Howard Allen's life this wonderful night. At the end of verse 20, you see the word amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Then you see it again at the end of verse 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And finally, in verse 27, you see, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Three times the word amen is used. And the word amen 
just basically means so surely and truly it comes to pass. That's the end of the thing. It's finished, it's wrapped up. And then he should wrap this thing up three times within those few verses from 20 through 27 would have to make you segment each one of those to see that it's complete, absolutely done. In verse 20, it's the grace of our Lord. In verse 24, the grace of our Lord. Two of the amens of the three are sealed with grace. The third is sealed with glory. Double grace brings you to glory. Says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in 20, 24. Then in 27, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Two graces, one glory, all sealed by amen. Now this greatness of this verse 20 is contingent upon the successful living of verse 19. If and when you do verse 19, then and only then will verse 20 become true for the believer. For you will then be a mature believer who is established, rooted, and grounded. Not allowing the evil one to mix anything in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by believing that ye being rooted and grounded in what? But you're rooted rooted and grounded then you can comprehend if you never get rooted and grounded the best you will ever do is apprehend and that is not good enough when comprehension is available Colossians 2 verse 7 rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding therein with what? Rooted, rooted and built up in him and established and established in the faith when saved believers the immature that's all you are at the moment you get saved. 
You're an immature believer. When that immature believer gets established, that's what's talked about. Romans 1, it's told you this. Romans 1, verse 11. Paul said, For I long to see you that I may impart, share with you that good stuff, that wise, that great learning, spiritual gift, to the end that you may be what? That's the purpose of the Word of God, that you who are saved, being immature, become mature. And you become mature by getting established in God's what? Word. That's right, and that's the only way you're going to get it. If you want to get established, you've got to stay put on the Word. It's the Word that will establish you. You must get established. Now watch it. And being established in your salvation is knowing the mystery of your salvation. Anyone who is antagonistic against God's Word, even if they won't admit it, yet they're against God's Word, and the truth of God's word, they will disturb the peace, they'll disturb the tranquility and the harmony of the saints, of the fellowship of the believers. And the word of God says that all these are messengers of Satan. Second Corinthians. Chapter 11, verse 12. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. God, our country and world, is full of those today. No marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in the confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I'll glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing yourselves are so stupid and smart. Huh? For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face, I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit wherein am any is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. 
in labors more abundant in stripes, above measure in prisons more frequent in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, perils of waters, perils of robbers, all of that, weariness. Besides all those things, verse 28, things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak? <laughs> my, oh my, oh my. See, any individual antagonistic will tend to disturb the peace, the tranquility, and the harmony of the saints. And every one of them are messengers of Satan. Your opportunities are not with the unbelievers. Your opportunities are with so-called believers born again many times who get all mixed up with the evil one and do not get to the purity of the word which is the mystery of their salvation. Romans 16 says, Satan under your feet shortly. It literally means Satan shall be quickly crushed under your feet for you are established. If you're not established, he will not get crushed under your feet. Quickly means with speed. Then it talks about grace. It's grace to you. Grace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. It literally says you have the grace to stand. Because you are established. You have no impure mixture of the word. You're established, and that is in opposition to Satan who causes all this evil. That's why you have the grace. You have the grace of God to stand. You've got the grace to stand. And this, verse 20, is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 for individual believers. Genesis 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Shall bruise the head, crush Satan under your feet. That's the crushing. You beat his stupid head in. 
That verse 20 is a fulfillment of 3.15 for individual believers. All the true seed of the promise of women believers. I'll say it once more. This verse 20 is the fulfillment for individual believers. All the true seed of the promise of women believers. Are you a woman of God? Married, having a child? Boy, boy. All the true seed of the promise. You are born again. You're a woman of God, married to a, a man of God, a believer. Children clean, all that stuff, remember? But it's the true seed, the true seed of promise, the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 of women believers, of which Christ was the first, and even yet not completely fulfilled, because the only Complete fulfillment of everything will come with the return. When all the redeemed shall stand before God's throne with Christ, of 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now I see as in a mirror or glass what? But then, 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 with the return of Christ, face to what? Glory be. then as triumphant and victorious. Let me give you a literal of verse 20. Now remember that translation I gave you of 19, that literal. This is the only way to stay unmixed by the evil one. 19, then verse 20, and the God of peace, God of peace, and the God of peace, it is God who will do it, not you. If you do verse 19, God will do verse 20. Don't you see it? And the God of peace shall utterly crush the God of peace shall utterly crush Satan in pieces. With a grinding action, can you just picture yourself standing up with your foot, cowboy boots on, leather heels, that have nice nails in them holding them on but just sticking out a little bit occasionally or those cleats underneath it and you got it on Satan's old head 
and you just grind him, grind him, grind him down. That's what it says. Crush Satan in pieces with a grinding. Running through that meat grinder. A grinding action deeply and quickly under your feet. God's going to do it. The God of peace is utterly going to crush Satan in pieces with a grinding action deeply and quickly under your foot. God's going to do it, but you got to step on that dude's head. you got to kick him in the butt. you got to... Not even one iota of toleration of anything the adversary wants to feed to you, even if it comes from your so-called best friend. From husband or wife, father or mother, preacher, none. Then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is yours. And if you don't do it, it isn't yours. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, is with you, is yours. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is yours. Amen! Settled! If it's not mixed with anything, people, the books, the mystery knows of your salvation, not mixed with anything. The grace of Christ is yours. It's yours. Amen! I'm going to go home. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, or Lucius, Jason, all these guys' names here, 21, 22, 23, and finally after 23 we get back to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Diodosicor, to work all these names in 16 previously. I'd like for Craig to share this with you, and he has copy he's going to read. Okay, good. All right, in verse 1, Phoebe means the radiant one, brilliant like the sun. In Greek mythology, one of the daughters of Uranus and Gaia, the feminine form of the masculine names Phoebus, and Apollo, which is the Greek sun god, and because she is mentioned first, it is said she probably carried the epistle of Romans. In verse 3, Priscilla means highly respected ancestry, a family tree of age-old honor, ancient, long ancestry. It is the diminutive of Prissa, denoting smallness or endearment. Since Priscilla is usually mentioned before Aquila, which is unusual in Eastern culture, she was probably of a higher and larger family than Aquila, as her name suggests. Also in verse 3, Aquila means the eagle. This is the name of a northern constellation and ties in with Jesus Christ as the smitten one falling, the principal standard of a Roman legion. Is another definition of the word of the name, the office of a standard bearer. Epinatus, that's verse 5, to be praised or lauded. 
Mary in verse 6, Greek Maria, means myrrh, precious, living fragrance, incense used in worship of God. It says here in Hebrew, Miriam is bitterness. In Aramaic, Mariam is rebellious, contentious, contend, emulate. In Egyptian, Marie is beloved. In verse 7, Andronicus means conqueror, man of victory. The Greek word andro, A-N-D-R-O, is a form of aner, male, vital force, masculine, and nike is victory. And also in verse 7, junia. It means youth. Related names, Julia, Junian, and Junius. In verse 8, amplius. Affectionate greeting, large, wide, diminutive of ampliatus, a common Latin slave name. It's the same root as amplified. In Latin, from the word ampliatio, meaning deferring the decision of a judge. Another definition means enlarged, again. Urban, verse 9. Urbane, freed by imperial decree of a city, refined, suave, courteous, and polite. In Latin, it referred to a citizen, urban. Also in verse 9, stachus means ear of corn or head of grain standing out from the stalk or of high honor and standing. It's an uncommon Greek name from the Greek word Histemi, H-I-S-T-E-E-M-I, to stand. Corn in the east is inclusive of all grains. The name is also linked with imperial household. In verse 10, Apelles means sunlight or radiant from Apollo, the Greek sun god, also the god of prophecy, music, and poetry. Apollonian means, quote, harmonious, measured, ordered, or balanced in character also found in imperial household. Verse 10 as well, Aristobulus means the best counselor. Note here, probably the grandson of Herod the Great. Greek, Aristos, a word element meaning best or superior. Then boule, the second part of the word, will, determination, propensity, purpose, design, plan, counsel, advice used of A, the Legislative Assembly of Modern Greece, and B, a Legislative Advisory or Administrative Council in Ancient Greek States. Herodian means a leader, a guide. It also means valiant. Herod was a title associated with royalty like czar or kaiser. It is the word used for governors, to be chief, to go out in front or to be a governor as of a Roman province. Narcissus means a flower causing lethargy. Narcissus was a youth in Greek mythology who pined away for love of his own reflection and was transformed into the flower Narcissus. The root is the Greek word narke, a condition characterized by a brief attack of deep sleep. That's verse 11, the Herodian and Narcissus. In verse 12, trophina means delicate, dainty, luxurious. Associated words are trufeo, T-R-U-P-H-A-O, in the Greek means to live in pleasure, 
and trufe, T-R-U-P-H-E, means pleasure. Also in verse 12, trifosa also means dainty or luxuriating, same root as trifena, a common name in Caesar's household. Also in verse 12, persis means Persian woman. In verse 13, rufus means red or reddish brown. Says it's connected with revolution and bloodshed. In verse 14, asyncretus means incomparable, unequaled, unrivaled, not admitting any degree of comparison. Also in verse 14, phlegon means burning. Fire, representing God's presence, glory, and pureness, can also mean, quote, burning carried to make food, end of quote. Also in verse 14, Hermas means heaven's swift messenger, patron of commerce, inventions, eloquence, literature, and youth. The ending of as connotes the female gender. Hermanius means an interpreter of foreign tongues. Hermes, Latin Mercurius, was the son of Zeus and Maya, and again, one of the more common slave names. Also in verse 14, patrobus means life or of my father, family, kindred, or country. From the Greek patrus, of my father, bios, b-i-o-s, good life or living. Also in verse 14, hermes refers to hermes above and in addition, a bringer of good fortune or good luck. In verse 15, Philologus, a lover of words, learning, and literature, or studious, philologus. In verse 15 as well, Julia means soft-haired, downy, hairy. That's Julia, feminine of Julius. Also in verse 15, Nereus, a Greek sea god, a water nymph, name found usually of freed men and the lower orders. Also in verse 15, Olympus means heaven or the sky, celestial. The name of a mountain on the Macedonian frontier of Thessaly. Homer makes it the seat of the gods but distinguished from heaven. The common name to several other mountains, each at the highest in its own district in Mycia, Herodotus, Laconia, and Polybius. In mythology, the god of games. Verse 21, Timotheus means honored of God, precious, or dear to God. In Greek, time, T-I-M-E, long E, means weight, honor, precious, price, sum. The word implies value, costly. In verse 21, Lucius means illuminative or of light. In verse 21 again, Jason means healing. In verse 21, Sosipater of a good father, from the Greek sozo, to save, heal, preserve, do well, be whole, and pater, P-A-T-E-R, father or parent. In verse 22, tertius means the third. A note here, a proper name in the Arcadian dialect. In verse 23, Gaius means earth or land, a very common name. Greek is Gaia, G-A-I-A, meaning land. 
In Greek mythology, Gaia was the earth personified as a goddess. Also in verse 23, Erastus means beloved or lovely. And in verse 23 as well, Quartus means forth or considerate, showing mercy, especially the clemency of not killing a defeated enemy. That's the 35th name. Thank you, Craig. Isn't that wonderful? Give him a big hand. Great. When a name is given, God has a purpose for it. And it's our responsibility to find out why, to gain the understanding of it. There are times in the Bible great incidents aren't mentioned. Individuals related to it are just says, this woman did so and so, this man did so and so. Their name is not given. Here in the 16th chapter of Romans, you have what, 35 of them? Must be very, very significant. I want to just add a few things here from the 16th chapter of Romans in these verses 21 through 24. And I will give you the scriptures that you can look up yourself. So I'll help you this much to give you the benefit of what I've worked with and what I know and believe is the truth of all this, these names that are here in verse 21 and following. Timothy was with Paul in Macedonia, 2 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. And he, he was with Paul in Corinth just before Paul left for Jerusalem, the record of Acts 20, verse 4. This Lucius, mentioned in verse 21, was the Lucius of Cyrene, Acts 13, 1. Jason is the one mentioned in Acts 17, 5. This Sosipater, in verse 21, is just the longer form of the name Sopater, in Acts 20, verse 4. Tertius, of verse 22, who wrote this epistle, oh, and there's the, the word salute again. In verse 21 at the end, you have the word salute, and here you have the word salute. You know, it doesn't mean like you salute the flag or something. Uh, that's not it. They send their peace. They salute you with their love, their blessing. This Tertius, of verse 22, who wrote this epistle, in your reading from time to time, you're going to run across a word that is pronounced amenuensis. It is spelled A-M-A-N-U-E-N-S-I-S. They'll use that word, theologically it's used all the time. It's just to fool you. All it means is secretary. But that's the word. So whenever you see it, it means secretary. This Tertius who wrote this epistle, the key in that verse is in the Lord. Most Bible teachers teach that this Tertius was not a believer that Paul used an unbeliever to do the secretarial work. 
I think that's a bunch of baloney. Because the key is in, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. And for someone to be in the Lord, he first has to have the Lord in him. It has to be Christ where? In you before you can be in Christ. And Lord means master. He gives the order. He's part of the first part, second part, third part, every other part. And he is the Lord. He's the master. This Tertius who wrote, who was the secretary, Paul just dictated it. God laid it on him. Paul spoke it. Old Tertius didn't in shorthand or something. Sends peace to you in the Lord is the key. Verse 23. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, sends peace. What a record. He was Paul's host. He took care of Paul. Not only that, but of the whole church. <laughs> this Gaius is the one of 1 Corinthians 1, 14, where he, the word of God says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. His name is also Titus Justus of Acts 18, 1 to 8. His full name is Gaius Titus Justus, whom Paul stayed with on his first visit to Corinth after he had stayed with Aquila and Priscilla. He was Paul's host and of the whole church. That means he was the bishop of the church at Corinth. And in 1 Timothy, the bishop of the New Testament is the same as the word elder of the Old Testament. The word for bishop by the way, the Greek word is episkopos, from which you get the word episcopal. It's spelled E-P-I-S-K-O-P-O-S. And this means one who watches over, who fulfills the requirement of caring for, The other Greek word that's used in the New Testament is presbyterios, P-R-E-S-B-U-T-E-R-O-S, from which we get the word presbyter or presbyterian. This word bishop, New Testament, Old Testament elder, presbyter, is just a title. It's like the word Pope in the Roman Catholic Church is just a title. He is nothing more than a priest. 
but he's got a title, and the title is Pope. One who cares for the body of believers, who is given the responsibility of taking care, as Paul says, of all the churches. That man is a bishop, a presbyter, biblically speaking. Chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, it says, This is a faithful word, true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires an excellent work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given to hospitality, having the ability to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, money, other junk, not greedy, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one who ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, which means a fledgling, a pledge, like when you have pledges in fraternities. That's this word novice. Not a novice. Not someone who just took PFAL yesterday morning. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a re good report also of them that are without. That does not mean outside of the pale. Not a good report among the unbelievers. That's not what it's talking about but a good report among the believers. The believers have to respect him. They have to like him. He has to have a rapport, a charismatic outgo to the believers. That's what it's talking about. Lest he fall into shame and the snare of the devil. That's quite a record in verse 23 of Romans 16 regarding this Gaius. This Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, that means he was the treasurer of the city. He is the one whom Paul sent with Timothy into Macedonia before he left Ephesus, Acts 19.22. And he is the one to whom Paul refers in 2 Timothy 4.20. Now it mentions Quartus, a brother. Quartus was known to the writer, Paul, as well as to the believers, as a brother. That would be a brother in the Lord. Verse 24 then finally wraps it up. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And that sets the names from Timothy of verse 21 through Quartus upon a foundation 
that says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's it. That's what these men did. That's what they stood for and so forth. And now verse 25. This is called a doxology. Those of you who have belonged to the church of the past, you've been in churches where you'd sing the doxology. Usually, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They call it the doxology. The word doxology just literally means a praise. A praise. If I should do a line or two regarding you, praising you, that would be technically a praise, a doxology. Now these verses, 25 through 26, by many men whose hammers are worn out, say they were not written by Paul, also that they were added many years after the gospel was sent to Rome. I do not believe that for one minute. Now, I'm not stupid about the grammatical gaps that are in this section. From the Greek point of view, the grammatical things that are there, the grammatical gaps all commentators note in this great doxology are only there to show us, to indicate, to teach us that when it comes to the great mystery which God commanded Paul to declare, no words on earth are sufficiently qualified to comprehensively express the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. But now in Romans, made known to all for their obedient establishment in the one and only true faith of this the greatest of all God's administrations up to the return. That's what I believe. I believe those gaps are there just because no man, even though God gave Paul the revelation, told him to write it, there are just no words in any language, estrangilo Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, English, just no words on earth sufficiently qualified to comprehensively express the revelation of the mystery kept secret since before the foundation of the world. It says in verse 25, Now to him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. But now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment 
of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. The word my gospel, words my gospel, are used three times. There are none of us who fully can comprehend, at least I can't, the magnitude of its sphere. The words, the gospel, the magnitude of the sphere of the gospel, the gospel which is here called my gospel. The reason it's his gospel is because God gave him revelation. God revealed it to him. It's his gospel. He spoke it forth. Paul didn't sit around and incubate it on his own. God gave it to him. In Romans chapter 2, verse 16, In the day when God shall judge, God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Then judgment is going to be upon the basis of the mystery, the great mystery revealed, which had been kept hidden and secret since before the foundation of the world. Its other usage of my gospel is in Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Again, the my gospel is the mystery. And in the teaching of the mystery, the mystery that gives you the knowledge of your salvation is that Jesus Christ was of the seed of David. And then, of course, it's third usage is in Romans 16, 25, where we are. Now, core. God's plans unfold gradually. Each minute detail has God's predetermined time for disclosure. In Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, In verse 4, But when the fullness of what? Time was come. When the fullness of time was come. I told you God's plans unfold gradually. Each minute detail has God's predetermined time for disclosure. Fullness of time. God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. What is written, Kor? What is written? And Kor, it is written, is pregnant with truth. 
but it must wait until the appointed time for its complete fulfillment and understanding. And boy, that statement is significantly true of prophecy. People go off the deep end on prophecy usually, trying to understand what as yet has not reached the appointed time where that understanding is available. So they guess. You know, Jesus Christ had a second return in 1917. He comes all the time. Then when he doesn't make it, they refigure it and they have to say, well, we just missed it a little. He's coming later. Shoot. Boy, if you just remember what I've taught you, it'll save you hours and years of messing around. Again, I'd like to say it as I have it written here in my notes. What is written in God's Word is pregnant with truth, but it must wait until the appointed time. That's why I use the word pregnant. You're pregnant today, you don't have the baby tomorrow morning. You wait till what? The appointed time for its complete fulfillment and understanding. Now, if you want to check this, and here again I'm just going to give you the scriptures. Titus 1, 2. 2 Timothy 1, 9. 1 Corinthians 2, 7. And Colossians 1, 26. According to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. The word secret is the word sago. The literal meaning of this word secret is keep silence, hold one's peace. For hidden truths and subjects have their own times and seasons to be fully declared, known and understood. It's like a road sign. <laughs> Along the way, as you're headed toward your destination, but it really is never known until you really get there. I just want to read you Titus 1.3. but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching with which I was entrusted according to the commandment that God gave to Paul, commandment given to Paul of God our Savior. In Second Peter chapter 1 or in verse 19. We also have a more true word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private 
interpretation. For the prophecy came not in olden time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In Romans 16, in that verse 26, it says, The mystery was kept secret, but now is made manifest, revealed, made known. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedient of faith. Scriptures of the prophets. These are New Testament prophets. Paul is one. Silas, Timothy. Scriptures of the prophets equals by prophetic writings. In Romans chapter 1, Paul, verse 1, a doulos of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated on the gospel of God, separated on the gospel of God, God's mystery gospel, which God promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In 1626 of Romans, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, by prophetic writings, according to the commandment of the everlasting God. That means according to the commandment God gave Paul. For the obedience of faith, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. All of this is made known for obedience of faith, of the faith. Of the faith of what? Of the foundation of the mystery. All this in Romans, he says, is made known for obedience so that you can be mature, be obedient to the faith. And all of that core is set on the foundation of the mystery, the great mystery, the great secret, which was given according to the commandment God gave Paul when holy men of God spake or wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's the commandment. God gave it to him. If you draw a line on a piece of paper and just write the words, the mystery on it, then from the beginning of that line, over the top like an arch, you bring it to the end of a line, that half moon over the top is Romans. All of Romans is set upon the mystery. The mystery is the foundation made known 
no longer a mystery. It's made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God all only wise. Be glory to the only God, the one and only God, the only God who is wise, totally unmixed, holy of all holiness, purity of all purity, love of all love, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Praise to the one and only wise God who knows all. The adversary does not know all. In Romans 11, in verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How incomprehensible, unsearchable are his judgments and his ways, untraceable or untrackable past finding out. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Just listen again to Romans sixteen twenty seven. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. First Corinthians two, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. God is the only wise one. And you and I can never be wise until we go to a wise God. To that wise God be glory. And when you are in Him, it's ordained before the world unto our glory. And then comes that tremendous eighth verse of 1 Corinthians 2, which none of the princes, I told you he's the only wise one, God's the only wise one. The adversary doesn't know everything. Which none of the princes of this world knew. They did not know the secret, the great secret. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the adversary's primary attack today is the same as it was in Genesis. Has God really said? Are you really righteous? Are you really justified? Have you passed from death unto life? Or are you just not a little bit living in condemnation? It's always an attack upon the integrity and the accuracy of God's Word. It 
is written. It is God's Word, Corps. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 8 well 7 in whom we have redemption through his blood the remission of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and good sense. Boy. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will in harmony with his good pleasure according to his time schedule, which he hath purposed, which God purposed in himself. And in chapter 3 of Ephesians, in verse 10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in the heavenlies might be known by the church the manifold the variegated, mollifarious wisdom of what? God. Romans 16, verse 27. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. On this, the highest of the high notes, the glad tidings, the gospel of Romans ends. Cor, what a glorious revelation of grace. What a tremendous presentation of under knowledge and understanding of the awful depth of sin and failure of man. but rescued out from among by the preaching of Jesus Christ, the work he did. To this God, the only wise, glory through Jesus Christ. What a revelation of the transcendent love of God. Justification by believing and the righteousness of God to every believer. Romans is the bedrock of all truth regarding the mystery, the great mystery. It is foundational. As I told you, you draw the line horizontal, the great mystery, then over the top is Romans the foundational truth of all the greatness of that mystery that had been kept hidden and secret from before the foundations of the world, but now made manifest, now declared. It is written. It is written. You can read it. It is written. 
to that God, the only wise. To Him be glory. To Him be glory. Through or by way of what Jesus Christ did. In John 16, in verse 13, Jesus Christ had declared something by revelation. And it is written, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into what? All truth. Guide you into all truth. And that's exactly what the mystery is all about. The all truth is bringing a man through that whole mystery of God in Christ in you, the hope of glory. Fellow heirs and of the same body, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male or female, but one in Christ Jesus. The mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's righteousness, God's love, God's peace, God's grace, God's mercy, God's everything. That is the all truth of John 16, 13. This is the greatest of the great mysteries of the Word. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. And then the book of Romans closes with amen. And that settled it that for a believer. For any man who really wants to know, that settles it. That's it. Amen. That finishes it. The great mystery revealed the word, the greatness of it. And now in conclusion of the year of the core and of the book of Romans, the two years we've spent in it, there are no words commensurate to the spirit of the love of God within my soul, sufficiently qualified to thank God for his mercy, his grace, his love, to allow me to live, to be a part of your life, but even beyond that, to have the joyous privilege of once again teaching the great foundational truth of the mystery from the greatest, what I feel is the magna carta of all believers, the Book of Romans. And I'm deeply humbled, deeply grateful, and deeply thankful to God. Father, we've done our utmost for your highest, endeavoring to rightly divide the word and to not never handle it deceitfully, and to declare again your, to your people the greatness of the mystery of salvation, the great mystery of salvation. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the ineffable greatness of your divine presence and power. Father, 
very difficult for me as a human being. But as your son, Father, I'm truly grateful for the joy unspeakable of your love for us, for our family. And I thank you for allowing me to live and to share my heart, my love, the knowledge and understanding that you've made available to me, to your people. And I do this, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.